Well, hey, everybody, and good morning. Welcome online once again uh, to Safe Haven Online. Man, I hope you have enjoyed the weather that has been going on. Hadn't it been awesome? Um, the beautiful weather we've had this spring. I don't, I don't know what a quarantine temperature is supposed to look like, but buddy, we've had a perfect one. This has been an awesome spring, and I hope you've been able to enjoy it. Hope you're able to enjoy it this weekend. And uh, so we're going to continue our journey together through Matthew. But before we continue our journey together, you know, every business or, or most businesses, most businesses have a slogan. They've got some kind of little blurb, catchphrase, something like that, that captures or encapsulates their mission. And um, so we'll do a little game time. I'm going to pop up right here on the screen. Uh, let's do four. We'll do four uh, businesses or companies, and then you say what their catchphrase is, okay? And so if you get all four of them, um, I will personally deliver to you a bag of Lay's potato chips, right? And at that phrase, Lay's potato chips, is what? Bet you can't eat just one. Okay, so now you know that didn't count. Uh, we'll have four more, but now you know, kind of know where we're going with this game. Can you label the catchphrase with the company, all right? So the first one that will pop on the screen is this, Nike. Gave you five seconds. Did somebody get it? Okay. All right. Here's the second one. Uh, M&M's. All right. Uh, a little tougher now. All right. So number three, uh, Bounty. And everybody should get the fourth one. All right. So the fourth one, State Farm. Did you get all four? If you got all four, then leave a comment in the comment section, whether you're watching uh, via Facebook link or in the Vimeo link or uh, Instagram. I don't know how that works. I don't have that, but it, leave it somewhere. Let us know if you got all four, and we will deliver you a bag of lace. You can even pick what kind of lace potato chips you want, okay? Um, well, the point in all of that was this. Number one, to have fun. Uh, number two, but Jesus... Jesus had a mission. He had a mission statement. He had a slogan. He had a little blurb. And so uh, I'll even bring you your 12-pack of favorite drinks, non-alcoholic, of course, um, if you can name what his slogan was. Now, here's a hint. Now, I'm not, not going to give you five seconds. We'll give you two seconds for this one. Um, but his slogan came up last week. So what was Jesus' slogan? Did you get it? All right. So... Uh, last week, Jesus told us what his slogan would be, and that is this. I'm here to serve, not to be served, and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if we could encapsulate everything that Jesus came to do, it would simply be right there in that one little slogan. Um, it was simple. It was to the point. It was true, and it was that Jesus came to be our suffering servant. So that paradigm was something that um, we're reminded that, that people didn't understand. And oddly enough, everyone's interpretation of Jesus' statement, um, I came not to be served but to serve, they weirdly interpreted that somehow as, all right, you are here to put Israel back on top as the rulers of the world by leading a revolt and stomping the Romans into a mud hole. 
Now, before we think of them as an ignorant people, because that's our tendency, right? We look at them post-cross and go, how on earth could they have interpreted what he said to be that, to be this warrior? Well, before we, before we think, okay, they're ignorant, they didn't know, something like that, these people knew their scriptures. And as a matter of fact, when they thought of Jesus as the Messiah, they would have thought instantly to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 12, this was prophesied. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, speaking to David, King David, the first uh, right king of Israel, uh, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in other words, there will come a son one day, and he will be the son of David. And they thought, okay, well, he is going to be like David. He is going to be a warrior. Um, in, in the kid's phrase today, in the kid's lingo, he's going to be beast mode, okay? So this is kind of what they thought. They'll, they'll come this son, he'll be the son of David. And so they, in their brain, said, now how are we going to know when the king has come, when the son of David has come? Well, we'll know because he'll be evidenced by the hand of God. And so the hand of God will be all over him. Um, the hand of God will prove that he's the son of David by showing that he has the power of God, by showing that he has the authority of God by showing that He has the backing of God. And so now not for a prize, but for 10,000 imaginary bonus points, guess what phrase is uttered of Jesus three times today? Son of David. It's going to be repeated several times in our passage today. So let's go ahead and flip over there and kind of see how do these relate? How does Jesus prove himself to be the son of David? And how does that fit with the slogan and the mission that he told us that his mission was all about? Well, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to wrap that up today. We'll begin in verse 29. And Jesus is going to start by um, journeying on a 15-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's been telling the, the disciples that they're, they're headed to worship. And they are. They're headed up to Jerusalem. And so they're going to begin that 15-mile journey today in, in chapter uh, 20, verse 29. So let's go ahead and dive in and see how far we get. First, we're going to see Jesus as the son of David. And he's going to show or prove his divinity with pity. Not a pitchfork, but with pity. And so let's look at this. Let's see this in this example. Verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, heading on that 15-mile journey, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's catch a couple of things from that real quick. Number one, notice the crowd. Um, 
The crowd wanted to share in Christ's glory, but in no way did they want to share in His compassion. And this is something that has really spoke to me um, just with this past week, right, with Ahmaud Arbery's murder in Georgia. Um, we, we want to be quick to, um, to spin it or to avoid it or uh, to not address the injustice at all. And uh, we, of all people as Christians, should be able to speak into things like that in life. And whether we have all the answers or don't have all the answers is irrelevant. We can't be like the crowd who wants to boast in Jesus, Jesus for me, Jesus for me, Jesus for me, but not for you until you prove that you're worthy of Jesus. Ah, we're called to be people of compassion. And we are called to be a people of empathy and, and a people who care even when we don't know all the answers. And so right now, even in that situation, right, we've got a, a mother today who is experiencing Mother's Day for the first time without her child, and that should lead us to compassion. And so the crowd saw Jesus and they wanted Him to be the Son of David, but they rejected that He was the Son of David who expressed Himself through pity and compassion. And so I want to notice that first, but then second, notice that uh, Christ wanted to share His glory through His compassion. And how did He do that? He did that by asking these gentlemen um, who were blind, what do you want me to do? Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. <laughs> Here's the beautiful thing. He didn't come with a raging sword poked in our necks. He didn't come to these guys and go, you prove yourself worthy or you walk through the do justice system to prove that you're worthy of my pity. He didn't do any of that. What he did was he spoke to them and then expressed his love as the son of David through pity and compassion. And the beauty of that is, is that he came with a gentle touch to remove blinders. And if you found Jesus, that's how he found you. You didn't clean yourself up enough. You didn't prove yourself worthy enough of his, of his compassion. He as the son of David, he gave that to you by mercy and by grace. That's who the son of David is. That's who our Lord is. And if we are uh, the sons of the son of David, then we will also mimic his characteristics. It's undeniable. Just like you mimic your mother or father's habits. We do, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's funny, the older that you get, the, the more you really do realize how much you mimic your parents' characteristics. And we'll do the exact same. We'll mimic the son of David who came to seek and save us out and to remove the blinders from our eyes. So first we see that Jesus reveals himself as the son of David in his divinity through expressing pity, not a pitchfork. And then number two, let's keep going. Jesus continues, <clears throat> number two, we're making it to chapter 21 now, Jesus as the son of David is going to show his divinity through fulfilling, not pity, but prophecy. And so this one they really would like and they would get on board with this one. So verse 1 says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, so now 
they have made it to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them. Now, he's going to say to them this bizarre request. So, catch this. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt tied with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place, here it is, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and this is in Zechariah 9, 9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them uh, their cloaks, and he sat on them, being their cloaks. So now we've got Jesus proving himself no longer through pity, but what? Through prophecy. He's fulfilling the prophecy. Um, he's showing that he indeed is the son of David, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, which was prophesied a thousand years before this event. And so let's keep going. So not only is there's this bizarre request, but now we're going to have this this intentional kingly entry to show his fulfillment of prophecy. <clears throat> Verse 8 says this, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And Jesus has spoken in parables a lot, but now he himself has become a parable. He's become a, a moment or a memory that it doesn't matter if they're an unbeliever or a believer, if they would eventually become a, a believer or remain an unbeliever forever. This moment is now seared in their mind like a powerful parable. And so Jesus goes on, and this is going to elicit a response from the crowd. Verse 9, And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the what? Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meaning save. It could also be equated with glory. Uh, 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 as, as someone walked in um, who they thought, again, this, this shows the picture of what they thought the Son of David would be. Yes, they're on board with the whole prophecy thing. Yes, fulfill the prophecy and become a beast. Become a warrior. Become a royal uh, uh, tyrant, if you will. Stomp a mud hole into the Romans. And so the crowd Hosanna in verse 10 goes on to say this, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now at this point of the son of David, there is one thing they expect and one thing they don't expect. The one thing that they expect is one heck of a Passover party. Right? They're headed for Passover, they're headed for worship, and they are thinking, man, this is going to be the one that beats all Passovers, okay? This is the party that beats all parties. There, nobody's going to throw a better Passover moment than this, okay? They are thinking this is going to be awesome. That is the one thing they expected of the Son of David. What they did not expect of the son of David was not a party, but a hellish crucifixion. 
again, they couldn't wrap their minds around a Savior who would be that loving or in some way a substitutionary righteousness. They, didn't, they couldn't fathom. They, they couldn't see beyond the here and now for the eternal. They just couldn't grasp it. They couldn't see that He, he came not to give them coins and prosperity in their hands, but He came to remove the blinders off of their eyes and to remove the calluses off of their heart that separated them from a right relationship with the Father. This is who the Son of David is. And so let's continue and wrap it up. We're going to continue through the story. Jesus has entered in Jerusalem. He's entered into uh, the, the, the area. He's made the walk, but now He's also made it into the temple. And here in verse 12, Jesus as the Son of David is going to show His divinity by unparalleled priestly power. So again... Is He the Son of David? Is He backed by God? Does He have the authority of God? Does He have the power of God? And, and this is going to uh, put the nail in the coffin, if you will, one more time of who He really is. Verse 12 says this, And Jesus entered the temple, and He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, <laughs> ask a quick question. What kind of priest does this? Right? So this is, this is probably more miraculous than any other miracle that Jesus performs. What kind of priest has the authority to just bust up in there and start flipping things and flailing things? Right? So imagine if we're in, I was going to say our church up building, if, if we're in the gym and we're having worship, and somebody comes in, and they just start flipping stuff, right? So I know a bunch of y'all, we got a bunch of linebackers in here and a bunch of cowboys, and I will promise you if that happens, this person is going to be face down quick. Who has the power and authority to do this where everybody goes, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, this is a miraculous moment. And so he does this in verse 13. He said to them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So the question is, what kind of priest does this? The answer is, the priest that owns the house. That's the one who has the authority and power to do this. The priest that owns the temple. Now watch how people respond. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So the blind and lame see this and they say, you're our only hope. We don't have any hope in anybody else but you. You are our only hope. And the kicker to that is, is that they gain vision through their faith. They gain vision through their faith that I can't accomplish anything on my own. If this guy doesn't have our hope, nobody has our hope. And so they gain their vision through faith in Christ as the Son of David. goes on to say this in verse 15, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. So the blind and lame say, you're our only hope and gain vision through faith, but the seeing and the healthy don't say you're our only hope. They say you're our only problem. You're not the son of David. 
You don't fit the mold. What are you doing? You're, you're messing thing up. And in doing so, they didn't gain vision through faith. They were blinded by their pride. What a conundrum. <laughs> you got blind people who all of a sudden now see through their faith and you got seeing people who are now all of a sudden blinded by their pride and that's exactly how it is in the kingdom and how we respond to the son of David. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, you've never read out of the mouths and uh, in, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. And leaving them... He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now did you notice, or did you miss it, uh, that there was a group in between the blind people and the Pharisees? And that group was the children. The children. And what were the children saying? Hosanna to the son of David the third time. So the question after all of this is we've examined what does the son of David mean? What does he look like? How did he interact with people? How did people respond to him? All of that stuff. We can, we can boil it down to one question and that one question is simply this. Who's the son of David to you? What do you believe about the son of David? He proved that he has the power of God. He proved that he has the backing of God. He proved that he has the authority of God. So physically, he fits the prophecy of the son of David by fulfilling uh, the Matthew 1 genealogy. He is physically of the lineage of the son of David through Joseph. Spiritually, he fits this prophecy by being God's chosen deliverer. We can see that in Revelation chapter 22 where Jesus uh, says of David that he was actually before David. Um, and then personally. Personally, he fits the prophecy of the Son of God by choosing not to manipulate natural laws to save himself from death. And that's the most important aspect of the Son of David, the substitutionary work that as the Son of David, yes, He had authority to say to death, death, you won't touch me. And, and the people didn't have a paradigm for a Son of David who would say, I have that authority, but I'm going to allow death to swallow me so that I can give life to those who would believe in me. And that is the Son of David that we need. And so, if he would not have done that, then he wouldn't have fulfilled his slogan. But if he did that, then he would fulfill his slogan. What was Jesus' slogan that began this whole journey? I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so every single step that Jesus took was calculated. Every single moment that Jesus lived was purposeful. Every single second for 33 years of Jesus' life was to serve and to give His life away as a ransom for many, fulfilling 
the rightful heir to the throne as the son of David. So, let me ask again in a little bit different way as we wrap it up and begin to continue in worship. If you're a believer, is Jesus a Savior on a shelf that you pull off during convenient seasons of life? Kind of like the elf on the shelf, we pull him out for the holiday season. Is Jesus that to you? Or are you enamored with Him as the Son of David for all that He has done? Every calculated step, every purposeful step was so that He wouldn't lose a single one of His sheep. Every single moment was so that He could come not to be served but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Therefore, every single step, if you're a believer, was for you. You're one of the many. It was for you. So what do you do with the son of David? Do you worship him wholeheartedly? Do you serve him willingly? Do you uh, 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 walk around and talk about him as the rightful son of David that he is? <laughs> Let that be the case for us. Let that be the case for safe haven. And so if you're an unbeliever, what do you do with the son of David? Is he just a good man who did some good things? Or is he the son of David who fulfilled the missional slogan of God himself? And I pray if you're an unbeliever today that you will bow and bend the knee at the Savior, the son of David, who has proven himself to be just that, the fulfillment of the prophecy, um, the one who could redeem you from your sin. And what that looks like is you confessing that sin, confessing that you've offended God's holiness, and then believing that Jesus is the answer to fix that problem, that He is the Son of David, that He is the one who proved His divinity through pity. He's the one who proved His divinity through prophecy. He's the one who proved His divinity by showing unparalleled priestly power. Will you trust in Him today? Why wait? You confess your sins. You believe that He's the righteous one who, who God fulfilled, and then you place your faith in Him that He too, would remove the blinders from your eyes and give you sight to see. You can do that right there in your living room. You can do that as we sing. I'm going to pray, and then let's continue to worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for this text. Thank you for our whole journey through the Gospel of Matthew. It's been so good um, as we've looked into very practical things, and today we look into just a very personal, spiritual, evangelistic item. Lord, you are the son of David. And as the son of David, for believers, we rejoice that you met us on the road in our blindness and gave us sight. That we didn't come seeking you, that you came to us. And then, Lord, for unbelievers, Lord, would you remove the blinders and give them faith today and that they would respond in that faith to you. And Jesus, it's all for your glory. And it's your name we pray. Amen.